Hello and welcome to another uh, broadcast of Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. You like that? You see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. That was that intentional? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> rarely is, uh, rarely uh, am I clever intentionally. Um, <laughs> I, tonight we are going to be discussing uh, evil hotels. Uh, one of which has been uh, portrayed in, or uh, modeled of, what am I saying? One I was about has, to say, what, what actor played this hotel? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one has inspired uh, many horror movies and particularly, uh, actually, no, I couldn't really think of any. Maybe you'll tell us, Teresa. Uh, <laughs> and the other uh, is here in Hollywood and inspired uh, American Horror Story Hotel, uh, in fact. Uh, but tonight's host is the lovely Teresa O'Hara, myself. Oh, oh sorry, Teresa O'Hara. Anyway, pa- <laughs> pause for applause. Yeah. Insert, yeah. <laughs> yay. Uh, Tia Bean. Yay! Uh, and listening is Patrick, who's here because we need him for technical support. I'm technically listening. <laughs> and ho- yeah. and moral support. Don't forget yeah. that. I'm moral supporting. Um. Yeah. Who should go first? Who wants to go first? Do you, I don't. Yeah. Um, flip a coin. No. You could flip a coin if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a coin next to me. I don't know why I offered that. <laughs> I, mean, I can go first. I don't care. It's uh, yeah, go first. Okay. Cool. I'll go first then. Uh, so my story is about the Cecile Hotel in Hollywood. Dun dun dun. So most likely you've heard of it. Most likely you've heard at least. One story, which I will get to at the end, but yeah, most people have heard of this hotel and they usually associate it with being kind of a seedy hotel and, you know, lots of death and one particular death uh, associated with this hotel. So before I get started, I got most of my information from Geographics. Uh, Simon Whistler is the host of Geographics. He also helped me on my uh alistair crowley episode that i did way back when um as well as wikipedia and a few other sources um that i didn't write down but um but i've also known about this hotel for quite some time so uh most of the information was already in my head i did fact check it and cross examine it <laughs> um, <laughs> those are big words sounds right sounds right yep <laughs> uh so the cecile hotel so the cecile hotel is in downtown uh hollywood or downtown los angeles it's not in hollywood why did i say that the cecile hotel is in downtown los angeles i was thinking hollywood because a lot of new people to LA think the Hollywood Strip and the Hollywood Walk of Fame is downtown. That's definitely what I thought when I first moved here and I referred to the Walk of Fame as downtown, but downtown is actually a completely different area. 
of Los Angeles. So the Cecile Hotel is on South Main Street and 7th Street in downtown LA. Uh, it, compl- it was completed in 1924 by uh, the company uh, Weymouth Cromwell. And it was contracted by hotel entrepreneur William Banks Hanner. He invested about $1 million um, at the time, which is equivalent to about $40 million today. So very expensive hotel. Um, yeah, at least it was then. Um, so yeah, uh, it was one of the largest hotels on the West Coast. It's 14 stories with 700 rooms. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty tall. I imagine at the time it was pretty tall for this area because other hotels like the Knickerbocker is only 11 stories. Uh, It's it's crazy just anything like when the when you like watch like documentaries of like the Chrysler building and shit being built like so many people died because we shouldn't have been building things that high. Yeah, well, I don't (laughs) have any steps in its building. Like, well, yeah, I mean, this is what would you say, 14 stories? That's still pretty tall, though. Yeah, Mm -hmm. crazy. Sorry, so he wanted a grandiose lobby to be built with a beautiful main staircase. It was an art deco style with marble, stained glass windows, and an ornate plaster staircase with mock Roman statues, which I imagine at the time were pretty classy. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't early age well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you think of mock Roman statues, uh, yeah, it's pretty cheesy by today's standards. But at the time, I'm sure it was incredible. Uh, the first reported death was on June 19th, 1926, so just two years after its completion. A retired mining employee named William McKay died of natural causes in his room. So, no big deal, you know. Oh, kitty. Right. Which <laughs> one was that? Was that T- Teresa? Sorry, that was my cat. Was yeah. Say, yeah <laughs> one of I them. I didn't recognize that one. That's funny. Uh, we should <laughs> keep in all cat memos in the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> no, the cat meows stays all the time. <laughs> On good luck. <laughs> uh, February of 1927, about eight months later, John Cronu, uh, a long-term resident, was arrested at the Cecil by the LAPD. Oh, I was going to cut that because that's boring. Uh, cut that fact. <laughs> <laughs> that has n- like someone was arrested at a hotel in downtown LA. No big deal. Um, what? What? Uh, that's not very spooky. <laughs> Cut that out. Pretty off. sure only good things happen in downtown. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, though, this was like the classy area, though, of downtown. So this hotel. Oh, the Cecil was. Oh, okay. What's that? Uh, I that no, that's interesting. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't know that really. Yeah, in the 1920s and 30s, this was like nice. Like there was lots of theaters down there. Uh, it was like the Ritz, ritzy place to like be, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, April 29th, uh, or oh, April, sorry, 
not April 29th. Oh my God. I'm, I'm off to a bad start. <laughs> April, <laughs> April, 1929, 33-year-old Dorothy Robinson was taken to the hospital from the Cecil Hotel. Uh, she was in a dazed condition after attempting suicide. Her husband had died a month prior and following a nervous breakdown, uh, she had been prescribed barbiturates, which she overdosed on. So that's the first attempt of suicide at the Cecil Hotel. Now, I am going to name a few suicide attempts, and it is going to sound like a lot of deaths and suicides associated with the Cecil Hotel, but really a most hotels have people who pass away in these hotels. Most hotels have at least one story of someone attempting suicide because a lot of people, I feel like, don't want to do it in their house, you know, or they're staying at a hotel because they got in a fight or, you know. I was about to say, yeah, I wonder what the percentage is of, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, that's just curious. Like, wonder yeah. what the percentage is of, like, yeah, people that, because, you know, people are staying on vacation in a hotel, but all the other times, you know, it's like you're, yeah, in a fight mm -hmm. with your, you know, spouse or yeah. moving or in a stressful situation or you being evicted or yeah that's true yeah there's probably a lot of depression in a hotel so i mean i'd like to say on average this is pretty normal uh but well let me just let me just talk about this and i'll let you guys decide if you think it's normal um so yeah so in 1929 also is when the great depression hit and that area went to hell at that time. So prior to that, it was a ritzy area, 1929 hits. Uh, and in the 1930s, it starts to have a reputation for being a seedy hotel. Of In August of 1931, George Ford is arrested at the hotel for selling or attempting to sell uh, 10 pounds of opium for uh, at the time, $10,000, which is close to $156,000 today. So, I mean, had he been successful, that would have been pretty good. <laughs> um, November 16th, 1931, the LA Times reported the first case of attempted suicide uh, of, sorry, uh, the LA Times reported the first case of completed suicide W.K. Morton had been missing for days from his house in Manhattan Beach. Uh, on November 15, 1931, he's found dead in his hotel room from self-poisoning. Uh, he had checked in under the name James Willies. Uh, one year later, 25-year-old Benjamin uh, Dodick took his life with a shot to the head. By the end of the 37 guests had attempted uh all but one succeeding so um uh i didn't get a date for this death but somewhere in this time grace magro leapt uh from her ninth floor window in the night hitting telephone poles on the way down when she hit the pavement she was tangled in telephone wires her boyfriend, a sailor from the USS Virginia, was sleeping in the same room and hadn't woke up or noticed anything and had no explanation for why she did it. 
to say the least <laughs> wow sorry let me sip my michelada and continue it's a good promo for michelada right yeah there. please sponsor us does it have clamato in it yeah. or no yeah Ooh. I like nice. the the Bud Light ones better than the Modelo ones, even though Modelo is a better beer. It's just like the Bud Light ones have a more tomato-y taste. So. Do they? Oh, I've never tried Bud Light but one, but I'll have to. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. October 12th, 1962, Pauline Otten, age 27, was going through a rough patch in her marriage and was separated from her husband, Dewey. Earlier that day, Pauline had paid a surprise visit to Dewey at his place of work. Uh, Dewey, in an attempt not to make a scene, convinced Pauline to continue their discussion at the hotel across the street, uh, which was happened to be the Cecil. So I guess he worked across the street. Uh, from the Cecil, mm. they're fighting. He's like, don't embarrass me at work. So uh, he decides, well, let's just go get a room across the street and we'll talk about it. Uh, they checked into the room on the ninth floor. Dewey left at some point to go to dinner and eat alone. While he was gone, Pauline climbed out of the window and jumped. She landed on a passerby, passerby George... Uh, Ganini, both died instantly. Police thought for a time that both had jumped out of the window together. They were trying to connect George somehow to her. He, They thought that he was the lover. Um, and it was like, it wasn't fitting together. He was much older than her. And like, there was no connection. His wife was like, no, I don't think he's cheating, you know. Uh, so they were trying to figure that out, but then they realized that his shoes were still on and her shoes were not on and his shoes supposedly would have flown off, off on impact. Jesus yeah. Christ. 11. Oh, wow. God, yeah. Man, like, uh, could you imagine dying by someone hitting you? Like, yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, That's crazy. by this time, 11 suicides in total have happened. Uh, the first homicide... <laughs> Is on uh, is in September of 1944. The lifeless body of a newborn was found on the roof of a building adjacent to the Cecile. The suspect was 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell, who had been staying with her lover, 40-year-old Ben Levine, at the Cecil. One night there, she woke up with abdominal pain. She went to the bathroom and gave birth to the baby boy not waking Ben. She thought the baby was a stillborn, not wanting to anger her boyfriend. Uh, she drops the baby from the window. What? However, the forensic surgeon found that the baby had air in its lungs, which means it would have had a breath at some point. Fuck. Yeah. This, the trial was in January of 1945, and Dorothy was found not guilty by means of insanity. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my God. That means of insanity, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, right, and you just gotta always keep that in the back pocket. Yes. <laughs> so, 
this is when things start to get really crazy here at the <laughs> hotel. Uh, sorry, I don't know how to. Uh, da, 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 James. <clears throat> uh, crap. There's a really important name, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but that's okay. Anyways. Uh, in June, June 5th of 1964, Goldie Olson, retired phone operator, known as Pigeon Goldie because she liked to feed the pigeons at Perishing Square, was found in her room uh, by a hotel employee. She had been stabbed, strangled, and raped. The police arrested suspect 29-year-old Jacques B. Erlinger. Uh, he was spotted in Perishing Square covered in blood. Erlinger was alert, linked to another murder that had taken place in L.A. at the Rawson Hotel. So, uh, yeah, so that happens. Uh, then, a little bit later, uh, 1984 to 1985, they had a rather interesting uh, man stay there for an extended stay. Serial killer Richard Ramirez. Yay. Uh, He terrorized Los Angeles. He is known as the Night Stalker. There are many great documentaries on him. Oh, and in fact, by the time this airs, there will be a great documentary on the Cecile on Netflix coming out in two days now. Uh, But by the time this airs, it will have been out for a couple weeks. So if this interests you, please watch that you'll probably learn more i'm gonna i'm gonna learn more from watching that and be like i should have left put that in the podcast Um, (laughs) i should have just did the podcast next week um that's that's true i know i noticed that tia so it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah i saw that and i was like oh it's gonna be just after the podcast (laughs) sorry oh well (laughs) it's it's okay because this is just to give you a general idea of what goes on you know oh yeah 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 for sure yeah so Anyways, back to the Night Stalker. Uh, The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, murdered at least 30 women in the L.A. area. Uh, He was arrested August 31st, 1985. Uh, At the time, he had been staying at the Cecile. Uh, He would be seen walking through the hotel in his underwear, having just discarded his bloody clothes. So it's a seedy hotel. Nobody really said anything when this guy was walking through the hotel in his underwear back for real. Oh my God. Yeah. But there were a couple reports of this. So six years later in 1991, uh, an Austrian journalist named Jack Unterweger checked into the same room as Richard Ramirez. He had traveled to LA to write a series of articles about, uh, sex workers, sorry, it says prostitutes here. That is not the right word. Uh, write articles about sex workers, uh, and about, you know, crime in Los Angeles. So he actually went on ride alongs with the police, which I guess is pretty common for people in LA. Uh, Hmm. you know, (laughs) I've, I've definitely heard of people going on ride alongs who are writing movie scripts. So the, doesn't seem that preposterous. Um, at the time, a serial killer had been targeting local sex workers, beating them and strangling them with their own bras. And 
he had done like these very specific knots in the bras, which I think is so crazy because I don't even know how you would tie a knot in a bra. Um, and I'm like, okay. yeah, that's a really interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 30, I'm 35 and I'm still trying to figure our bras out. So yeah, I'm yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. I'm gonna sip my drink. <laughs> So, I'll just rip it off. Then. <laughs> very, very, very Neanderthal. No, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> uh, six sex workers were killed in Austria the previous month, all with similar details. Sorry, I was hoping that that would sink in. Okay. No, no. no <laughs> uh, 17-year-old, uh, uh, 17 years prior, a German woman had been strangled with her bra by Jack. And he, I think he had been arrested for that. So, but she survived. Uh, so, uh, they are able to put two and two together and he is uh, arrested. He is, uh, so, so he's convicted and he became a model inmate, publishing poetry and plays and writing an autobiography. Uh, he's given parole, hmm. but he kills again and then is arrested in Miami, Florida. On June 29th, 1994, he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. That night, Unterweger commits suicide at the Graz. Carlisle prison hanging himself with a rope made of his shoelaces and trouser strings using the same knots found on the bras of the sex workers. Oh, shit. Mm. Crazy. So, yeah. okay. That's just the intro to the Cecile. Now we're going to get into probably the most popular story of the Cecile, the one that you've probably all heard of uh, and think about when you hear the name the Cecile Hotel, and that is the disappearance. Sorry, let me say that again: the disappearance of Canadian tourist Eliza Lamb. Oh, she was Canadian. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm already, I'm already yeah. learning. Yeah, you're already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is. Oh man, I love the, I love the story, and I used to love not, not love it, but I. I I tripped out on this story because this is like, I don't know. It's like one of the ones that it's like, there's a lot of physical evidence in, you know, but, in the mystery. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There well, is. I guess, but, I guess yes and no, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, these are what I have here is not everything. I'm pretty sure when the Netflix documentary comes out, there's going to be much, much more. I'm uh, sure, yeah. So oh, yeah. if you're listening yeah. to this and you haven't, watched it yet by the time this airs it will be out if you're watching this live right now on facebook which no one is um <laughs> <laughs> well who doesn't have netflix though yeah. you know what i mean yeah. everybody streams netflix so there you go and if you don't find a friend who has it and get their password um <laughs> uh, you didn't hear it from us no yeah. just kidding <laughs> so on January, in January of 2013, 21-year-old Aliza Lamb comes to Los Angeles and checks in at the Cecil Hotel on January 26, 2013. 
She stays at what is called the Stay on Main, which is a hostel occupying three floors of the Cecil Hotel. Wait, oh. so it was called the Stay on Main already at that point? So the Stay on Main is a hostel. And they own yeah. three floors. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Also, but, so sorry. it's in the same, it's it's within the, the body of the Cecil yeah. Hotel, but but they're just taking space? Yeah. And like, yeah. oh, okay. I guess, it, I guess that's like how we uh, stayed in Hollywood for that uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, well, they had a, yeah, it was a Airbnb slash hotel hostel that we stayed in. But it was obvious that it was also an apartment complex and other people stayed there uh indefinitely um, so that's what i think is going on okay. here is like part of it is permanent residence another part is this hostel called the stay on main okay. going on here interesting so uh so when she checks into the hotel uh she was originally supposed to share a room on the fifth floor but her roommates complained of her having odd behavior that's all they said so she was moved to a room of her own uh, after two days of staying there. So uh, on February 1st, Aliza vanishes. Uh, she is seen on the security footage entering and exiting the elevator, which you can look up online, and her behavior is odd, to say the least. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I've uh, seen clips of that. Yeah. Yeah. She enters into the elevator. She kind of pushes the button. She hides in the corner. She looks out. She goes out. She waves her hands around, and she then she disappears. The odd thing that I find, though, besides her behavior, is that the elevator door never closes at any point. It stays open mm -hmm. for a much longer period than an elevator should. However, that's interesting. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask. Do you know how how long? It was open. It looks like it's open for like 35, 40 seconds, which seems like mm -hmm. a long time for the elevator to open after she's pushed the button for it to close. Mm. I wonder too, I don't know if it's relevant at all, but I was just thought of it right now. I wonder if it was an older style elevator or a newer, because you know, like I lived in a building and like with the old one that had the gate and everything. Mm. So I, from what I saw, it doesn't have a gate. Oh, okay. Now she might have been hitting the wrong button that didn't close the elevator and was the button to open it. <laughs> um, that's yeah. Uh, I guess that's true. So, uh, but the footage also looks like it's been edited when you find it online. Okay. So there's yeah. no real saying how long the door was open or what is okay. missing from that footage, which yeah. I always thought was weird. So, yeah. Um. Okay. So days later. The guests at the Cecil start to complain about the odor, color, and taste of the tap water. Uh, yeah, and you all know where this is going. If you are not familiar with this story, oh, oh, just buckle in, guys. Uh, <laughs> so on February 19th, now she went missing on the 1st. On February 19th, the hotel staff inspect the water tanks on top of the building, they find Aliza's dead and naked body floating oh, in the water tank. Oof. Yep. Yeah. That's That's got to be an image that you just, yeah. you know. Oof. The yeah. death was deemed accidental due to drowning. 
So she was bipolar and on several antidepressants, but toxicology comes back to find no alcohol or narcotics other than her prescribed drugs in her bloodstream. Wow. How how did they know? Did they say how long she had been dead at that point? Um, I imagine it's several days. Um, because yeah. several days they complain about the taste of the water. Okay. So, uh, so, so she's like, yeah, decomposing and shit. I guess. Yeah. So doors and stairs, or doors and stairs that access the hotel roof are locked. However, the hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures. All four tanks are four by eight foot cylinders propped up on concrete blocks. There is no fixed access to them. So the workers would take a ladder and lean it up against the the um, water tanks to get into it. But there is no ladder found in the area. Mm. Uh, they are protected by heavy lids. Uh, however, a Chinese blogger pointed out after the fact that the lids were often left open. So, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's really gross for that hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like maybe maybe yeah. it wasn't just Elisa Lamb in there. So that oh, is yeah. my story, uh, along with the Netflix documentary that is about to come out, and I hope people watch it. Uh, my hero Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventurers. Uh, on his show, Ghost Adventures, <laughs> um, they do uh, uh, investigate the Cecile Hotel. Uh, so if you want to see more of what it looks like on the inside, if you like ghost hunting and whatnot, that was definitely an interesting uh, documentary or episode to watch. And I definitely encourage watching that as well. Um Uh, but anyways, uh, that is the story of the Cecile Hotel. Yeah, that's crazy. Man. Oh my god! I, I mean, that's yeah, awesome. But also, holy crap! Yeah. Jeez. Like, but yeah, that's why. I, that's the physical evidence I was talking about. Was just that video. Yeah. Because it's, it's that's the first time. Because mm. like, there's there are times in it she seems to be like swiping at something, you yeah. know, like at at nothing. And it's like, yeah, they, they tried mm. the, the first time I remember researching it, they were trying to blame it on the fact that she was bipolar yeah, and that it was, it was the drugs that she was reacting to or something, you know, or, or overreacting to, which is possible. And, you know, and, and, and it, you know, in, in everything's possible type of a universe, you know, but the whole, mm -hmm. everything she was doing was not something that someone that's bipolar that hasn't had their meds would do or, Typically. Has, had, or has had their meds. Right. Yeah, that's not that's not typical whatsoever, you know. And then the whole like, yeah. the whole thing that she's like looking outside of the elevator, like she's being followed. Yet we never see a person ever on camera. Yeah, you know, because huh. you'd think you'd think if if this if somebody did do this to her, which had to have happened, you know, 
they must have been pretty slick to stay out of the cameras, you know, because they're, you, I don't know, it's, it's weird that there, maybe there's only one camera in the elevator, and that was it, you know, but, but I feel like if this was investigated, I'm sure they looked at a lot of different angles of it. Yeah. It's, it's sketchy. I mean, it's, it's an old hotel, so I wouldn't put it past them only having the one camera in the elevator, you know. That's true, yeah. But well, you'd, you'd think they'd up security though with like Richard Ramirez staying there. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, like after he le- after he leaves, if yeah. I was a tenant there, I'd be like, hey, so how about we get some cameras in this bitch? Richard Ramirez and six years later, uh, you know, bra guy is there as well. Yeah, and then, yeah, the guy comes in to their place saying that he wants to stay in Richard Ramirez's room. Well, they thought, right? well, they like, thought he was there to do journalism, you know. Right, yeah. He, you know, so that wouldn't be unheard of for him to stay in Richard Ramirez's room, you know. And That's like, true. I'm sure they got like, that a lot. Come on, Pat. You know, like, we're going to go, like, whatever hotel we check in, we're going to be like, we want the most haunted room, you know. That's that's true, yeah. So, I mean, but and, like, I've never strangled anybody like with that. a bra, so... <laughs> like us are not normal right? you should watch out for they, they should investigate us I'm, that's awesome. please don't add that yeah. into the podcast <laughs> oh my god sorry oh, no that's just it's just crazy yeah that like um but you're right you're right those downtown hotels aren't exactly the you know the less fancy it is they can just say it's old hollywood yeah yeah yeah. Look, I'm just bowled over though, um, Tia, by the sheer amount of negative energy coursing through that place. Oh yeah. yeah. It's just like all the stuff that happened there. That's I didn't even know. I knew that it was a place of a lot of tragedy. Um, I kind of forgot about the Richard Ramirez part, though I shouldn't have, but mm-hmm. um but then, you know, just thinking about all of those things that happen there yeah it's no wonder elisa lamb unfortunately met some kind of crazy end you know um yeah that's crazy to think about and also you know not very far away either (laughs) no it's not uh there are also rumors that the black dahlia stayed there or it's connected to the black dahlia um yeah Mostly, it's been kind of debunked that she was there. Uh, you know, there's not really proof of that. So I didn't really bring right. that in because it's kind of like. Yeah, it's more like hearsay, yeah. like gossip or whatever, rumors. And it's yeah. also rumored that she stayed at the Biltmore Hotel, which I guess maybe maybe she did stay at either one of those hotels. They're very close to each other. Yeah. Um you know, or, or, or maybe George Hodel did too. You know, but right, right. There's yeah, there's not real evidence. Though. Yeah, there's not real evidence for it. No, you know, but you could say. I mean, honestly, like, like if you're a socialite, you probably have been to all these places. You know, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, so I didn't really keep that part in. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> All right, Teresa, what do you got for well, us? <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, gruesome hotels, well, this wasn't a hotel, actually. I mean, it was never 
he may have intended it to be as such, but in reality, as far as we know, and as we were just talking about a second ago, as far as we know is kind of the most that <laughs> any of us can ever hope for at this point because history has passed. But the point I'm getting to is that um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, this man, H.H. Holmes, and his murder castle, uh, which was also known as a hotel uh, for the World's Fair of Chicago of 1893. Um, so if I say H.H. H. Holmes, you guys both know who I'm talking about, right? I mean, you've well, heard yeah. of H.H. H. Yeah, we or... do. Uh, yeah. Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes' brother, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, though it was actually rumored that he may have taken the Holmes from from Sherlock Holmes as some kind of homage to either the author or the book. Um, oh, that's interesting. But, yeah, but that's, that is a little bit of speculation, but you know, um, kind of a little bit of speculation is what this man's life was completely fraught with. <laughs> so um, he just um, from the cradle to the grave was, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'd like to say, as a person who believes in the human spirit, uh, hopefully when he was a child, he was, you know, he had some kind of humanity to him, but he quickly uh, lost it <laughs> at some point along the way um, in his teenage years. Um, so uh, yeah, but let's see. So H.H. H. Holmes, um, his given name was Herman Webster Mudgett. Yeah. So no I mean, wonder. yeah, no wonder he changed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's known, kind of widely known, you know, as one of America's uh, first serial killers. But even if he wasn't, I probably would have changed my name as well. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. Kind of a dig oh, on his name, man. but not, sorry to all not... the mudgets out there. <laughs> yeah, well, there oh, are, yeah. there still are mudgets, and I will get to that much later. Oh, which is right. I'm going to edit that out. <clears throat> I'm going to get all that out. <laughs> Ooh, right. You're fine. It's on like a little bit more of a humorous note, a lighter note, if you will, because I don't kind of myself personally put a lot of belief in it. But anyway, <laughs> so um, yes. So he changed his name from Herman Webster Mudgett to uh, to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. Um, okay. And H.H. Holmes, though, was um, just one. I mean, that was the number one name that he often used. But he had a score of aliases. Um, you know, Henry Howard Holmes, Henry M. Howard, Henry Gordon, Alexander Bond. D O C Pratt, D T Pratt, A E Cook, G Howell. So, um, all you better may... than Mudgett. <laughs> yeah, all better than <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he had so many names. I, I have to wonder how he kept them all straight. But you know, he was. That was the thing about H H Holmes. Uh, is he was just a master um swindler a master con man so i guess he had a head for deception and he could he could mostly keep it all straight 
Um, so, so uh, he was actually um, born in New Hampshire in a small town um, in 1861, born on May 16th, 1861. Mm-hmm. And he was born to a farming family. Uh, so it was seven people total, including his mom and dad, and they were devout Methodists. Uh, he graduated from high school at 16 years old. Um, I think that was definitely more typical in the day. I mean, he was, you know, advanced in knowledge, but I think it was more typical back then to maybe graduate at 16. Um, so after he graduated, he took um, some teaching jobs nearby. Um, and then in 1878, he married Clara Loverling and had a uh, son with her in 1880. And Clara would only be his first wife at this point. Um, he was going to actually, uh, by the time everything was said and done, he was actually going to have three wives. So Clara was just the first of those. Mm. Um, but he, um, he, he was definitely interested in, um, continuing education and more specifically, um, this is where things, I mean, if things at this point, it's, it's kind of, let me back up a bit. It's kind of hard, um, for a lot of historians to say exactly what H.H. Holmes' early life might have been like at home, um, what might have contributed to his um, his psychosis and, and, and all of that. Um, but he, he was definitely interested in the macabre. Um, and he was interested in human... Uh, human skeletons. So um, he attended the University of Vermont uh, when he was 18 years old, but he was dissatisfied with the school and he left after a year. Um, And then in uh, from 1882 to 1884, he attended the University of Michigan. And that was in the Department of Medicine and Surgery. And he graduated from that school in 1884. So at that time, Uh, While he was attending the University of Michigan, he worked in an anatomy lab. And so he was apprenticing under under, uh, the instructor there. Uh, And so he learned everything there was to know about um, human dissection, essentially. Um, So things would would start to get uh, definitely weirder for him and more sinister uh, from here on. Um, So after he graduated, he moved briefly to New York and then he moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He worked at a drugstore. Quite suspiciously, there was a young boy that died after taking medicine bought at that drugstore. While Holmes, not having a typical reaction, he denied any involvement and he immediately left Philadelphia. So it seems that (laughs) everything was not on the up and up with that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The boy dies mysteriously. And uh, instead of sticking around to help, 
Holmes instead gets up and completely leaves the city. Yeah. Um, and that was when he, um, that was right before he was going to move to Chicago. Now, um, in Chicago, that's really where the main part of the story is located. Um, but I just want to give a little background on uh, what Holmes had been up to prior to that. Uh, but before moving to Chicago, he changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes. Mm -hmm. And that was to avoid being exposed by victims of his previous scams. <laughs> and you might think, you might think, well, I thought all the action happened once he got to Chicago. Well, yeah. no, <laughs> it yeah. did not. Uh, because that's that goes back to my earlier comment about, you know, we just don't know, unfortunately, because um, not only because, you know, it, it was a while in history ago, it was a while ago in history now, but mm -hmm. also because Holmes was just such a fantastic liar. I mean, that was mm -hmm. that was his whole business. So um, it's <laughs> I guess it's uh, one of the comments among historians today that, you know, you can't really you can't really base any one thing even even the stuff that's been reputed to be said because he just lied about everything. So who's to say, right? <laughs> so it makes it makes that's it a little crazy. bit difficult. Yeah. yeah. It makes it a little bit difficult on his end. But but you know, we'll go with what we know uh up until now. So so yes, he moved to Chicago. Um but that was not before he also married again for the second time i told you he would have three wives well this was his second wife murda belknap and he married her in minneapolis minnesota and he also had another child he had a daughter named lucy um so uh both of holmes children actually survived you know well into adulthood and all that um just in case anyone was interested about that but. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So the thing about being married to a second wife, uh, that's interesting to note is he was actually still married to his first wife. Oh, so yes. And the reason that I, I bring up that is because it's really integral to his story and who he is as a person. Um, but also yeah, he just, he's, he's not, um, his character is not on the up and up. So yeah, he just Ooh. kind of, right. He'll do anything to anybody and kind of doesn't give a second thought to it. Um, so he did try, you know, I guess in a weak defense, he tried to file for divorce um, from the first wife, but she never got the papers. Um, and then it was thrown out basically. Uh, so yeah, so now he's married to two people, and he's still at the same time, I mean, maybe not with Clara at this point, but definitely with Murda, he's keeping up the appearance, you know, of course, that things are fine, everything's okay, um, which, you know, it, it will <laughs> it will go down that uh, he definitely has to go through a lot of work to make all this stuff happen. Um so let's see, where am I? Okay, so yes. Um, and then that brings us basically to 
the murder castle itself, as it was called, or the World's Fair Hotel. Was it, um, because it, was it like that was home. Like a, I'm sorry. Was it like shaped like a castle? Is that what I it, no, um, it wasn't really shaped like a castle. I mean, if you look at, you can easily Google the image, you know, and find, find the image online, but, um, it's your basic, I mean, to me anyway, uh, the style at the time, it looks like any ordinary building in Chicago you would see at the time to me. Um, but I think the reason that they called it a castle um, I mean, cause it doesn't really, it doesn't really describe too much in anything I've read why it was called the castle, but, um, it, you know, it's the fact that he constructed it, um, himself. Well, I mean, he had workers to help him whom he swindled along the way, of course, <laughs> but he had all these workers to help him, but he, he came up with, um, he was basically the architect for the whole building. He came yeah. up with the design himself um, of how he wanted everything to look. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's an interesting I, question that I hadn't well, thought of yet. I'm, I'm the, looking at it on likes. You said to Google it. Yeah. And then some of the corners yeah. are like, you know, kind of look like the towers, like guard towers, sort of. Um, They're a little turrety. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. The turret. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. kind of what it looks like. Okay. But I was thinking about it. The reason I don't think about the outside is because every time I've looked at this, it's always showing like the diagram of the craziness inside the hotel. Spoiler. Oh, really? Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, spoiler. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm about. He's, no, no. I I just okay. said craziness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're okay to spoil it. I was right about to get to exactly what you're talking about there, but. Um, yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll have to look at, at the picture again, but, um, yeah, I mean that, that could be, um, you know, why it was called that as well, but, but yeah, it was definitely referred to that by the press and then by locals, of course. Um, so when Holmes arrived in Chicago, it was August of 1886 and um, as I just mentioned, he was now H.H. H. Holmes. He was no longer referring to himself as Mudget. Um, so he uh, got a job in the Inglewood neighborhood uh, in Chicago. And uh, at 63rd Street and Wallace, he got a job at a place called Holton's Drugstore. And it was on the northwest corner of the street. Of the intersection. Um, Holmes was very hardworking and he eventually bought the store. Uh, Elizabeth S. Holton and Dr. Holton were not killed by Holmes, as some Holmes themed books portray. They remained in Inglewood well into the 20th century. So that kind of gets into a minute. Uh, you know, there's tons of books out there uh, about H.H. H. Holmes and they all say varying things. So uh, one of the accounts is that um, is that he actually um, killed both of them or he killed one of them and, you know, consequentially got the store. But he actually built his own castle, as it were, uh, on an empty lot across from the drugstore. Uh, that was at 1887. At that time, it was uh, a two-story mixed-use building with apartments on the second floor 
and a new drugstore on the first floor. So we don't really know at this point what um, what H.H. Holmes, what his intentions were when he began uh, building it, uh, building his his whole his whole building here. Um, but in 1888, Holmes was sued by Aetna Iron and Steel Company for non-payment of services. And this was going to be just a theme throughout the whole construction of the murder castle um, because uh, Holmes, you know, like I said, he was a swindler, a liar, a con man. So he'd had uh, people coming to, to work for him, you know, all these people that he employed building these rooms for him and such, and he didn't pay any of them. And if someone would get too suspicious, he would typically just fire them and hire somebody else the next day. So there was a whole lot of confusion surrounding what actually was being built and what actually was going on kind of behind the scenes this whole time. Um, So in 1892, that was when Holmes decided to add the third floor, which was meant this is the part now, it was meant to be used as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition of 1893, otherwise known as the World's Fair, Chicago World's Fair of 1893. So he told the investors and suppliers that it was going to be a hotel. But the thing of it is that hotel portion was never truly completed. Um, So you might start to wonder, well, what was going on? Well, it was Holmes Furniture Suppliers. They were among the first group to learn of his con man tactics and practices. Uh, He hid their materials, which were never paid for, of course, in hidden rooms and passages throughout the building. And it was the suppliers that found soundproof rooms and mazes of hallways leading to nowhere. Many rooms had chutes that went straight to the basement where homes had acid baths, quicklime, and a crematorium to dispose of his victims' bodies. So you can imagine that the investors pulled out of the whole hotel concept when they were shown articles revealing all of this. Um, so this is the story as it, as it went when things were being discovered. Um, there's, there's a lot to refute that now, according to some people. But like I said, we're just going on... <laughs> based on what's, um, you know, most popularly been thought of to date. Mm. Um, in 1892, the hotel was somewhat completed and it had three stories plus a basement. So the first floor, like I mentioned, was the storefront or the pharmacy. Uh, the second floor was supposedly elaborate torture rooms. And the third floor, more Uh, apartment style rooms. Um, In 1894, the police uh, inspected the hotel while Holmes is out and they found rooms with hinged walls and false partitions. 
They found rooms with secret passageways. They found airtight rooms connected to pipelines filled with gas, gas chambers, essentially. And then, as I had mentioned before, they found the chutes that were thought to deliver bodies to the basement to be disposed of. Oh, my God. And once they got... <laughs> Once they got to the basement, Holmes would surgically dissect the bodies and sell their organs and bones on the black market to medical institutions. So, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's crazy how thorough he was. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it seems like such an effort, you know? Like, like it's, yes. it's, ama- it's amazing, like seeing what serial killers do to kind of keep their, you, you know, their thirst or whatever going. Yeah. But, but mm-hmm. man, this guy, this guy's a whole nother level. Like that's yeah. like, he like, he's like the, the guy that created like the McDonald's fucking, you know, the, the, like, you know, like how, how efficient it is. <laughs> like he oh, created yeah. like the McDonald's. What's that? I said also not like that right. guy at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's like a very, very efficient way of killing someone yeah. and disposing of it, which is, that's what I meant. It's like, it's very systematic, which is yeah, right, insane, but almost, I mean, you, not, you can't admire it, but you kind of like, wow, that's, right. it's, it's almost impressive. Uh, it reminds me of Sweeney Todd, but I imagine that Sweeney Todd is be- roughly based on H.H. H. Holmes. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That, make, it that could, makes sense. It could very well be. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah, H.H. No. H. Holmes was a singer. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no record of it, but who's to say? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the, well, you know, both of you guys bring up great points there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this for. What? Oh, nothing. Oh. I don't. I'm. I was disagreeing on Pat's point being great, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good point. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, sorry. I can't see anything. Anyway. Um. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I mean, but this. This. Um. You know, this whole theory. Uh. That. You know. I is widely popular. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what actually went on at the end of the day. I know that kind of deflates a lot of air out of the horrific balloon, you know, but it's, you know, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that, um, you know, it may not have been um, a crazy, crazy torture palace. I mean, I hope to God it wasn't, you know, but but um, at the same time, yes, people definitely died and quote unquote disappeared, which also means that they died because, right. <laughs> you know, um, at that time, uh, and that's where I'll um, give the book uh, Devil in the White City a plug by Eric Larson, because if you are at all interested in the H.H. H. Holmes case, uh, and also the World's Fair of 1893, then um, there's probably no better book of nonfiction than that one to read. Um, I haven't read it recently, but um, it definitely, uh, you know, if you're more interested in finding out some of the 
some of the details and how they were juxtaposed together, mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend to read that book. Um, they're supposed to be getting a, a movie uh, together, but uh, it's been a few years now since anybody said anything about it. Yeah. I thought Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be involved, I heard. That would Martin's be, person. I mean, I would go see it. Just Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I would too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if anything's happening with that anymore. But mm-hmm. um, definitely if you're interested in, you know, learning more, uh, read Devil in the White City. Um, even though, like I said, all the facts are not completely airtight, but, you know, mm-hmm. this is the best, the best we have to go on. Um, but, you know, let's see. I'm just looking... I mean, the thing with H.H. Holmes and the whole story of the murder castle is there's so much else craziness surrounding the actual castle itself. So much in Holmes' life that, you know, it's hard for me to know what to focus on exactly (laughs) because there's so much here. Yeah. Um, But he definitely... um, uh, he definitely loved his insurance schemes and that was kind of the main thing that, that kept him going because um, he did take jobs and he did kind of try and do, you know, the, the whole normal thing, I guess, what, I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, as opposed to criminal, I guess. (laughs) So he tried to kind of be both in a sense, uh, you know, he, he had to keep up appearances and here's the whole, you know, evil genius, even though he was mastermind serial killer thing, Mm. you know, he has to keep up appearances, but also at the same time, he has to engage in a heavy amount of criminal activity. So, um, I actually, um, when I was, um, back in Chicago recently, I, I listened to a, um, it was a virtual tour that was given by the Chicago History Museum. And the person there, he was talking about H.H. Um, H. Holmes and the murder castle. And it was very interesting because uh, the one thing that, that I kind of took away from what he was saying was that he didn't think, he personally didn't think that H.H. H. Holmes um, cared for the business of murdering too much. He thought it was more like a means to an end for him. Uh, which I thought was weird because I never thought about that before. Um, but, you know, he he kind of focused more on the fact that, well, he pulled all these insurance scams and that's kind of how he lived, how he survived, uh, especially with the, uh, with the bodies because, um, you know, now what happened or what didn't happen at the murder castle is still kind of speculative, but either way, Holmes was getting uh, cadavers and definitely stripping those cadavers of their flesh and all of that and cleaning them out to be skeletons so that he could send them back or or sell them back rather to, um, you know, to any medical facility. Um, But where was he getting all these cadavers from? It was never asked. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah, here's some money. I feel like I've heard several stories like that before where like mm-hmm. he's definitely not the first well 
he probably is the first, but definitely not the, <laughs> not the last to kill people and sell their bodies to uh, to science, basically. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He, and he, that was, um, that's with this guy who was, you know, giving the, vir- or the, yeah, the virtual tour. Uh, he was suggesting, you know, that he was more, uh, Holmes was more interested in, um, you know, kind of surviving in that way. But I don't know. I take it. I, I would challenge that he obviously wasn't killing in some way or else he wouldn't have (laughs) killed so many people. I don't, I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I would think that if you were in that mindset Mm -hmm. of, you know, multiple people that, you either have you have some kind of opinion about it, so so I don't know that I agree entirely with that guy, but it was definitely interesting to hear his his take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that's you know going purely from my from my memory now. But um, yeah, just to touch um, briefly on one of the, I mean, it basically would be the insurance scam that would bring him down ultimately. Because like I told you, he's been doing all these little these little kind of scams. I mean, at this point, too, I should say, excuse me, at this point, he actually has three wives uh, because he married a woman named uh, Georgiana Yoke in 1894 in Denver. And he was still married to both Clara and Marta. So um, at that point, he was, you know... It's all deep in the deception and uh, he's, you know, basically moving people around as pawns in his life. Uh, Just, you know, whatever he can get out of them. Um, There was actually a fourth woman, uh, Minnie Williams, and she was from Texas. And he, they never got married, but he posed as her husband. They both posed as, as a married couple. And they got an apartment in Chicago, in Lincoln Park. Um, At this point, I think he had the two wives. So he hadn't gotten the third one yet. (laughs) But um, (laughs) so anyway, he he moved in with Minnie Williams in Lincoln Park. And then um, he actually, uh, he manipulated her and, and convinced her that she should give the deed to her property in Fort Worth, Texas, sign it over to him. Um, and But it wasn't to him. It was to a different man uh, that he used an alias, Alexander Bond. So he did. she did wind up doing that. Um, and then Holmes, he served as the notary, of course. Um, and then he signed it over to another friend of his. So basically uh, what he was going to do with Minnie Williams property in Fort Worth, Texas, he was going to attempt to construct himself another uh, murder castle similar to the one that he had in Chicago. So that fell through. uh, But that was definitely his plan at the time. Uh, So uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, definitely, definitely safe to say that, um, you know, no matter what seemed to be happening in his life, uh, he was just going to continue to just lie, manipulate, 
cheat people. Um, that was his way of getting around and and surviving. Oh yeah, but the the insurance scam. So um, Holmes had a uh, a partner after a while, a partner in crime, um, and his name was Benjamin uh, Pitzel. And Benjamin Pitzel was a um, he was kind of uh, he had been a criminal and he was a carpenter, but he helped out H.H. Um, H. Holmes with pretty much all of his insurance scams and schemes at at this point. Um, so Holmes big insurance scam was that he was going to um, he was going to swindle an insurance company out of ten thousand dollars. So that would be roughly $296,000 in, in the year 2019. <laughs> and he was going to do that by taking out a policy on himself and then faking his own death. Well, he tried it the first time kind of on his own without Pet, uh, Pitzel's help. Um, but the plan failed because the insurance company got suspicious and they refused to pay him out. Um, so he decided, okay, well, I'm going to conduct this same scheme, but this time I'm going to involve Benjamin Pitzel. Well, for Benjamin, for Benjamin Pitzel, it would be, unfortunately, it would mean the end of his life, uh, because they were going to conduct the same scheme, fake the death of Benjamin Pitzel, who is going to be, who's going to pose as a, an inventor in a lab and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. And then Holmes was going to use a cadaver. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, okay. So the, the insurance scheme didn't work when Holmes tried it by taking out a policy on his own death. So then he tried it with Benjamin Pitzel. But for Benjamin Pitzel, he would unfortunately lose his life for this um, because the plan was uh, for the wife to collect on the policy and then split it with H.H. Holmes and another man, Jephthah Howe, who was serving as an attorney. Um, so, yes, Pitzel would pose as an inventor and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. And then Holmes was supposed to use a cadaver to play Pitzel, but instead Holmes figured it would just be easiest to just kill Pitzel outright. And he used chloroform to knock him unconscious. And then he set his body on fire with benzene. So Holmes then was, yeah, he was collected on the insurance payout due to the fact that Pitzel's corpse was genuine. So this was hugely significant that this happened to Benjamin Pitzel because um, he was his right-hand man, like I said, essentially. So it was the ultimate backstabbing. Um, he said he was going to, <laughs> he said he was going to uh, run this scam and, and him and his friend would have money. And then instead he decides to just kill his friend instead so that the body would be more genuine. Um, so if it didn't, if you thought that wasn't bad enough for Benjamin Pitzel, then it got worse for him because Benjamin Pitzel had five children and a wife and Holmes was so 
evil and slippery that he actually was able to manipulate Mr. Pitzel's wife into allowing three of the five children to be in his custody, if you can imagine that. And they trapped, yes, yes. I know it boggles my mind, but um, apparently Mr. Holmes was just as charming as he was cunning. So um, he could apparently talk most people into anything, I I suppose. But they traveled uh, throughout the northern U.S. and into Canada. And uh, at the same time, while he was traveling with the children, Holmes also escorted Mrs. Pitzel along a parallel route. And she had her remaining two children with her. Um, but he just, you know, he he had to work overtime, use more aliases, and lying to the wife saying that uh, that her husband wasn't really dead. He was just hiding in London uh, because, of course, he was unaware of the fact that <laughs> Holmes had actually killed her husband. Uh, so and then now he's got three of her children and she's not exactly sure of their whereabouts, but he is because they're kind of all traveling at the same time together, but not. And does this make sense to you? Because starting to get more complicated. <laughs> so That's yeah, I'm, he just, th- this is why I'm saying, I don't know how on earth he could keep all of this straight. Um, mm. And of course, don't forget he was still married to, uh the wives at this time and whichever wife was i think it might have been um georgiana by this point but so you know he's still trying to keep up appearances with with her um all the while doing this um so yes unfortunately holmes did kill all three of the children uh that were traveling with him and uh he hid their bodies in uh, two of the places that they had been staying. Um, it's just awful. I mean, these were very young children. Uh, Alice and Nellie were the girls, and he um, asphyxiated them in a large trunk. And then he hid their bodies in in a house. He was staying in Toronto, Canada. Uh, their bodies were found in the cellar. And Howard was the boy, and he was found in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, He was killed by drugs from a local pharmacy, which was administered by Holmes, of course. And then he was chopped up with his body and then uh, he burned it. Uh, Howard's teeth and bits of bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, he he had to have enjoyed killing like not yes. just doing it for money or, you know, uh, to sell the bodies and stuff. Because, like, why why take the children in the first place if you it's can't true. take care of them and you just fully intend on killing them? You yeah. Know? And it sounds like he didn't do it for money this time. No, it definitely doesn't. Um, I, you know, mm. yes. I mean, he wasn't known prior to this point to... Oh, no, actually, that's not true. I was going to say prior to this point, he wasn't really known to 
have been dealing with children, but that is absolutely not true. Oh. He had been kind of, yeah, there was, there was um, little, little one-off instances that were kind of written away, but back before he even left to go to Chicago, there was a time in New York where a boy went missing and they didn't, it a boy, both times, like it was in New York and then it was in Pennsylvania. There were young boys that were seen with him, but then they weren't ever seen again uh, after a while. And he made up stories and he was believed. Um, so, yeah. So that's not true. So, yeah, you're right. Um, there absolutely has to be more to it than just than just getting the money. Um, but it's, you know, it's just reading about it. It's so, so chilling. Um, but let's see. So uh, let's get to the end of H.H. Holmes' um, spree here, because there is an end. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so Holmes, he was actually arrested in Boston on November 17th, 1894. And he was tracked there by uh, the Pinkertons, who were a famous detective agency at the time. Um, and he was actually being investigated for swindling horses. Um, so believe it or not, I mean, he would do, he would run any scam he could. And I guess at this point, um, he was swindling horses from Texas up to uh, to the Midwest and then selling the horses at a cheaper price. So just anything he could do to con people. Um, in October 1895, uh, he was tried for the murder of Benjamin Pitzel and he was found uh, guilty and sentenced to death. So imagine this though. I mean, he he was found guilty and sentenced to death, but only for the murder of one person. He definitely murdered more than one person. Yeah. So there were, yeah, there were nine that were confirmed, uh, 27 he confessed to, which some of those people were still alive, apparently. Um, but it's, it's estimated that 200 people in total, it's suspected that he's, uh, that he's murdered. I wonder um, why he confessed but, but yeah. people who were still alive or if he was just trying to, you know, confuse them or something like that. I think, yeah, I think it was very likely that he was trying to confuse them because even when he was in jail, um, he was offered money, uh, believe it or not, from various newspapers for confessions. Oh. And the money was like ridiculous amount, like, and who knows, you know, I mean, obviously at that point, it looked pretty clear that he was going to die. So what, what's he going to do with that money at that point? But he still, he made the confession anyway, uh, in order to get the money. But then, um, you know, just like we were talking about, who knows if what he's saying is the truth, and most of it likely wasn't. So the newspaper, they kind of, you know, I think they were pretty upset that they went ahead and did that because they didn't really get the kind of information that they they thought they were going to get. Um, yeah. But, you know, when up until the end, when he was um, at jail, it was on May 7th, 1896, that he was actually hanged at the 
uh, Moya Mensing Prison, which is now known as the Philadelphia County Prison um, for the murder of Pitzel. Um, he would initially claim innocence in his life, but later he said that he was possessed by Satan. And he actually wrote an autobiography while in jail. Um, he was trying to help his cause, um, perhaps trying to get exonerated, but of course it didn't do any good. But um, there was a quote that that I thought, you know, he had to be feeling some kind of way because I feel like you don't just say something like this. But I thought the quote was, I just wanted to share it because it's so striking. I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one, standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. H.H. H. Holmes. So, you know, clearly, um, you know, who exactly knows what was going through his mind, but it's said that definitely towards the end there, he began um, getting pretty, pretty dramatic, at least in his written descriptions of what was, was happening him, to him and going through his mind. Um, so that was the end of his life. And that actually brings us to um, the, the legacy of the building left behind um, you know, known as the Murder Castle or the the World's Fair Hotel. Um, so there was a man named Patrick Quinlan that was actually the uh, the former caretaker of the castle. And on March seventh, nineteen fourteen, the Chicago Tribune reported that Patrick Quinlan committed suicide, and he had taken strychnine. Wow. Yeah, they found in his bedroom, they found him in his bedroom with a note. And the note simply read, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. Uh, Quin Quinlan's relatives claimed that he had been haunted for several months and hallucinating. Wow. So, yeah, the Tribune, the Tribune wrote at the time that, um, that they guessed that because Patrick Quinlan was now gone, that the quote-unquote mysteries of the castle would never be revealed. Um, the true mysteries, I guess. So, yeah, that, that was new information, like brand new information for me because I didn't even know, actually, that there had been a caretaker um, after, after that all had happened. Wow. But, um, yeah, let me back up one step. Um, so Holmes uh, was already off the scene at this point but he was in jail. Uh, but at August of 1895, the castle was mysteriously set on fire. Uh, it was most likely by two men who entered the back of the building. They were seen entering the back of the building and 30 minutes later, seen exiting the building and running away. And uh, after several explosions, the castle went up in flames. Investigators, they found an empty gas can found underneath the the back steps of the building. Uh, the building actually survived that fire and it was in use until it was torn down in 1938. So yeah, even after the caretaker Patrick Quinlan had uh, passed on, 
the castle was still there for many years, actually. Um, but today it is no longer there. And it is currently the site of a U.S. post office. Wow. Uh, the Inglewood branch of the U.S. post office. Yeah. So um, now, you know, just to touch on uh, that for a second, it's still considered to be um, just as haunted as the murder castle must have been. Um, they get a lot of reports of hauntings in the basement and um, the basement of the post office and a lot of the workers know about it. So it's always been something personally I've wanted to go check out, but I just haven't uh, gotten quite to it yet. But <laughs> one of these days. Um, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, put yeah. it on the list. Oh, and then, um, yes, put it on the list. And then just kind of to um, to cap all of this off for us, um, you know, unfortunately, I wish we could do this. I really, really wish we could because just historically and mac macabrely and all other kind of things, it would be really cool to be able to um, to look at the building as it was back then. But unfortunately, that's impossible. Um, but the reason I'm saying that is because H.H. Holmes himself, I think I'd mentioned to you guys, but I don't know if you heard or you remember, um, his body was actually exhumed uh, as recently as like four years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it was in 2017. Yeah, his body was exhumed for testing and the allegations were that he had escaped execution. Oh, wow. uh, Cause, yeah, because he was hanged by. Yeah, it was hanged by the neck. I mean, it it did uh, take him actually a long time to die. His neck didn't snap uh, automatically. It was said it took him a good fifteen minutes to die. Um, but still, uh, there were a lot of people, or I didn't even know this, that it was a popular. It is a popular theory. I mean, it probably shouldn't be anymore now that there's definitive proof. But <laughs> anyway, it was a popular theory that um, that he had escaped the execution and fled to somewhere in South America, uh, that he had bribed the guards, you know, because at the time he would have still had, you know, some money. Um, but yeah, no, that's that didn't happen. It was actually um, his body was exhumed at the request of his relatives who... Um, uh, they were living in or are living in Delaware. Um, and so when they exhumed the body, his body had not decomposed normally because uh, I didn't mention this part. But when Holmes before he died, he requested that um, his his coffin be placed in cement uh, and then that it be placed um, it be buried 10 feet deep. Because, of course, he didn't want anyone to steal his body and dissect his body. That was the reason that he came, essentially. So, um, yeah. I mean, at that point, why would you even care? But, um, yeah, he didn't want that same fate to happen to him. So, anyway, so when they, they exhumed the body, it was in the cement. Uh, and his body didn't decompose naturally. So the clothes were preserved. And his mustache was apparently still intact. That's freaky. So um, they. Yeah, right. <laughs> the mustache is still there. That's weird. 
Yeah, it's very, very creepy. I don't even know. Uh, but the body was um, positively identified by his dental records. Uh, and then they did rebury him. So thank God he needs to stay down there. I mean, <laughs> he's dead. But... <laughs> um, and so the relatives that wanted to that wanted to exhume his body, one was his great great grandson, and his name is Jeff Mudgett. So still has has the Mudgett name in the Aww. family, <laughs> right? Nice. He's he's uh, gonna rep Mudgett, I guess. He's right. all right with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Holmes was attached to all that, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he, um, so. He was on um, that limited series that was on the History Channel, aired in 2017, called American Ripper, which mm-hmm. I watched a bit of. But yeah, essentially, Jeff Mudgett believes that his great great grandfather, H.H. Holmes, uh, he tries to prove that uh, I think it was with like a CIA agent or something like that, that um, that H.H. Uh, H. Holmes was also Jack the Ripper of london uh england fame so um that yeah that i won't get into because i don't know much about it and also don't really aspire to the theory but um this is purely i mean for me it was kind of just i don't know purely comical but i think you'll also enjoy that jeff mudgett also claims that he is distantly related to Meghan Markle. That's not the funny part. I mean, he might be, you know, he says, <laughs> yeah. says he's a, he says he's a distant cousin, but that therefore he and Meghan Markle are also related to H.H. Holmes slash Jack the Ripper. So I don't know where you want to go with that one, but <laughs> I looked at it because it popped up in the, in the search for Google, you know, and it's like, uh, listing all the searches, and then it was like H. H. Holmes, Meghan Markle. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so, yeah, that's weird. I said, "I have, to see, I have to see what this is about." Yeah, yeah. So, that's <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, um, the the Murder Castle, the World's Fair Hotel. Yeah, it was. You know, if it would have been an actual hotel. Gosh, I fear what what may have happened. Oh, yeah. um, it never quite, it never got that far, thankfully. But you know, it's still horrifying to think about. And the fact that Holmes was going to set up another one in Fort Worth, Texas. I mean, you know, he's yeah. Thank goodness wow. he was stopped. That's all we can right. say. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, there was a lot, a lot of details in that. Oh but, no, that was know. great. Uh, that, was, that was really interesting. Um, uh, on Facebook, William Patrick Coleman says hi to Teresa. Uh, he, oh, hi, Will. <laughs> he also says that the movie was going to be directed by Martin Scorsese. So oh. definitely, yes. definitely yeah. would have been that one. I'll bet it's just on hold because of you know the pandemic and shit. Yeah. Well, we can hope. That's yeah, the I hope only so. reason. I hope so, because they were going to, um, I think it had the working title of um, Monster of 63rd Street, which is one of the, one of the novels that's out there mm-hmm. about H.H. H. Holmes. 
that you can read. So, so yeah. Exactly. I know it could be a a snappy musical too, if you write towards it, but, (laughs) but, you know, kind of a disappointing subject matter, but, um, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, no, I, um, I thank you guys very much for, for allowing me to, uh, talk about that a bit because, you know, it's definitely being from Chicago and, and especially after I read devil in the white city, I was like, Oh my God, this is just fascinating. You know, it was a huge time for Chicago. Of course, there were millions of people. And every time I read that, I'm like, I have to think again about it. I'm like millions. And even at that time, I mean, that's astounding. It was the 18, it was the 1890s, you know? So, um, yeah, but to think about a man, such as H.H. Holmes um, going to work to construct this building that is so mysterious that we don't even, everything we know about it, it's all from uh, accounts we can't even get back anymore. So, yeah, yeah, it's just very, you know, very crazy to think about. But, yeah, in the end, um, yeah, probably... uh, probably would have tra- hopefully would have steered clear of that place if I were alive during that time. Oh, <laughs> <Wow>. oh no. <laughs> chilling, chilling. But um yeah. So very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. When's when's the next time we see you on the podcast? Um I think next month. Uh I want to say like either early or mid month. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, that sounds right. To me. Let me see. I can find out in two seconds for you, though. If I look this up. Let's see. Let's see. Loading. Loading. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. It says March 8th. March 8th. What's the subject? What are we talking about then? My favorite ghost story. Oh, oh okay. Oh. I guess it's you get to pick, right? Yeah. I yeah. I was assuming, of course, okay. I was going to ask for a clarification. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be up to you what you want to pick. So it doesn't have to be Hollywood related. Um, but yeah, oh, surprise great. us. Uh, we should give each other okay. hints so we don't cover the same story, though. Uh, but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Give. Yeah. We won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, am I, am I on that episode now? I'm like panicking because I'm like I'm pretty sure I already told my favorite ghost story on this podcast. It says you are. Oh, darn. it says you are, but I'll come up with something. <laughs> I got. I'll get something. Don't worry. I'll come up with something. Oh wait. No. Okay. Um. Yeah. It says no. Tia Teresa Patrick, but okay. I don't know. Okay, we got this. Yeah. No worries. Uh, um i'm thinking of a few <laughs> i have a few in my head um yeah i just gotta pick ones that i haven't already put on next season's podcast um <laughs> oh yeah. yeah yeah i'm gonna think outside of hollywood california and i'll come up with something and i'll steer clear yeah. so yeah 
of Chicago. That's yeah. okay. You can. There's. That's the great thing about Chicago. Is there's tons of ghost stories. It's never ending. So <laughs> you could, you could pick one, and I'm sure you know I would have no problem if I had. Oh wait, one. no. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. Never mind. Okay, keeping it, keeping it a secret. Oh. <laughs> okay then. Yeah. I don't think either of you did. So yeah. Cool. Got it. Got it. Um, next week's podcast though is gonna be our Disneyland episode. So that'll be fun. Ooh. Um, um you can listen if you wanna tune in and listen. Yeah, um, of course. We will be in our new uh living situation, so that'll be fun. Aww. Yeah. My God. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy for you. Facebook Live. So good night, guys. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. We're off of Facebook Live. I, yeah. We'll be in our new oh. living situation. Uh, yes. <laughs> this time I'm happy to just. Okay. Sorry. Um, that was your voice. Do you want to do you want to wrap okay. up the episode? Yeah. Let me wrap up the episode real quick. Uh, yeah. So that was really fun. That was great. Um. uh yeah that was uh awesome that was great and thank you guys for listening uh to our podcast we'll be back next week uh for our disneyland episode we'll see Teresa again and hear her favorite ghost story i'm very excited about that uh for more on hollywood's haunted check out our patreon at patreon.com slash hh the podcast where we put the live unedited videos of uh, our podcast, as well as much more content that we are planning on in the future. Uh, if you have a great ghost story or questions, comments, concerns, oof, sorry, if you have a great ghost story or questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. So uh, that would be awesome <laughs> um yeah uh like share and subscribe because sharing is scaring and stay spooky guys Woo. Mm-hmm.